Let us pray. Father, may we truly, with our hearts, worship and bow down before you, the Lord, our maker, with the knowledge in our hearts and lives that you are our redeemer, that we are the sheep of your pasture through the great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord Jesus Christ. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, everyone. I'll do a second greeting since it seems like things, especially today, filled in a whole lot more after the first greeting. So welcome to everyone. So glad that you've joined us. And um, very tempting to um, sleep in just a little bit extra today. And good morning again to everyone watching via the live stream. So glad that you joined us as well. I'd invite you to take out your Bibles or devices with Scripture on them and turn to Exodus chapter 17. And as you're doing that, just one of the things we've talked about that's not directly related to my sermon, but that we've talked about over the past few weeks is um, using the Book of Common Prayer for daily devotions and also um, learning how the rhythms and the structure of the prayer book work. And I would encourage some of you that would like to learn that more in terms of our Sunday morning Eucharist to pick up a prayer book off the shelf when you come in some Sundays and open it up, page 123, it's easy to remember, Holy Eucharist is on page one, two, three, and follow along with the readings and things that are projected and kind of learn how it flows in the prayer book. And I think you will be blessed as you do that. As I indicated last Sunday, I'm continuing today with a focus on our Old Testament readings during Lent. At a first glance, we may not see much of a connection between our focus last Sunday on God's calling of Abraham in Genesis 12, one through nine, and our Old Testament reading today from Exodus. Yes, of course, both of these passages involve God's Old Testament people and his work in their midst. But these two events are separated by many generations. The connection I want to make between the two texts today is one of contrast. In the case of Abraham, as we saw last Sunday, God called Abraham and Abraham stepped out in unwavering obedience to this call. And as he did, he experienced God's blessing, God's grace, and God's provision. Even in the midst of not knowing exactly where he was going, despite leaving the world and everything that he had known until that point in his life. In contrast, in our reading from Exodus, we find Old Testament Israel grumbling, complaining in a rather extreme way, and calling into question the grace and faithfulness and trustworthiness of their God, the one true and only God. To put things in proper perspective, I think we need to remind ourselves of what had recently transpired just prior to this event in Exodus 17. The biblical chronology indicates that the Israelites had only been on their journey in the wilderness for about a month when the events of Exodus 17 take place. If we back up just a few chapters, we see them crossing the Red Sea as God miraculously parted the waters before them. We read about this in Exodus 14, verses 15 through 16. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. 
that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And then continuing in verse 30, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Continuing with the opening of Exodus chapter 15, we have Moses and the people singing a song of praise, extolling the Lord for delivering them from bondage to Egypt and miraculously delivering them through the waters of the Red Sea. And then chapter 15 concludes with God providing water for them miraculously in the wilderness. Chapter 16 tells us of God's daily miraculous provision to them of bread from heaven. Which brings us to our reading today at the beginning of chapter 17. And here they are, grumbling, continuing in grumbling, increasingly hostile, even hysterical when they're grumbling. And it makes us want to ask, what is going on? Or perhaps, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? What is your problem? The story is told by the late Christian author, Corey Ten Boom, and some of you may be familiar with this, and her sister, Betsy, who were um, imprisoned in the Nazi concentration camp Ravensbrück, which was terribly overcrowded and flea-infested. Corey, her sister died at Ravensbrück, by the way, but Corey relates how they had been able to miraculously smuggle a Bible into the camp, and in that Bible, they had read that in all things they were to give thanks to God and that God could use anything for good. Her sister Betsy decided that this meant giving thanks to God for the fleas. This was too much for Corey, who said she could not do such a thing, but Betsy insisted. So Corey gave in and prayed to God, thanking him even for the fleas. Over the next several months, a wonderful but curious thing happened. They found that the guards at the concentration camp, never entered their barracks. This meant that the women were not assaulted. It also meant that they were able to do the unthinkable, which was to hold open Bible studies and prayer meetings in the heart of a Nazi concentration camp. And through this, countless numbers of women came to faith in Christ. Only at the end did they discover why the guards had left them alone and would not enter into their barracks. It was because of the fleas. They learned to give thanks and everything, and God used even adverse circumstances. Israel, in Exodus, has been delivered and sees God's miraculous hand, and much of the converse, all they do is grumble and complain. Now, keeping all of this background in mind in chapters 15, 14, 15, and 16, Let's look a little bit more in detail at Exodus 17. My first point from verses 1 to 2 today is to trust or not to trust. Because once again, the Lord tells his people that it's time to move. In verse 1, we read, according to the commandment of the Lord. And the wording here is quite strong. The only use of this Hebrew phrase in all of the book of Exodus, as Victor Hamilton says in his commentary on this text, it is literally by the mouth of the Lord. So according or by the mouth of the Lord, they are told to move. And it is the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which makes this text even stronger because it's not one of the Hebrew words for God that's being used but rather it is the personal 
covenant name of God that was only revealed to his chosen Old Testament people, what we know as Yahweh, what scholars would call the Tetragrammaton. God is speaking to them personally and directing them through his personal name and through his mouth to move. And upon moving and arriving at Rephidim, there's seemingly no water. Now remember their frame of reference that they should have. But what did they do? Well, look at verse 2. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? How quickly they have forgotten. It seems as if they have a rather extreme case of short-term memory loss. And this situation is even more volatile and extreme than we may grasp at a first glance or first reading because the wording here, wording here indicates that they were on the cusp of violence. As if somehow Moses had secret supplies of water that he was withholding from them. But here's the matter of the heart. Their quarreling and complaining were not actually or merely directed at Moses. In reality, it was against God. And Moses names it as such when he says, why do you test the Lord? Moses names and identifies, if you will, the elephant in the room. They're blaming Moses. They're doing this, this dance around everything. In reality, they're, they're wagging their fingers at God. When I did trauma chaplaincy, some of you know I was a hospital chaplain for a number of years, and I worked for a fair amount of that time in what we call high acuity settings, intensive care units. I was on a trauma service at a, a large hospital in a level one trauma center. Um, and now to, to frame it, about half the people that come in as trauma patients are just normal, everyday, high-functioning people who have something really bad happen to them car accident, they fall at work, they fall at home, that sort of thing. Um, but the other roughly 50% as the director, the doctor who's the director of the trauma service used to say, um, have a lifestyle that pre predisposes them to be at higher risk for traumatic injury, if you understand what I'm saying. Um, but it was amazing, tragically amazing sometimes, how many excuses people could find or how many things they could blame what happened to them on rather than saying, this was my fault because I made some really bad choices. You know what I'm saying? And, and sometimes as the chaplain, after, after a, building a relationship with the patient, you kind of got to name the elephant in the room and say, well, actually, let's talk about what happened and what led to this. And... Um, sometimes there would be progress in taking ownership or responsibility for naming the elephant in the room. But, but that's really what Moses does with Old Testament Israel. He, he, he names things for what they are. You're not testing me. You're not coming against me. Actually, you're coming against the Lord. How short was their memory? John Durham in the Word Biblical Commentary on this text says this, once more when a need arises... The Israelites do not wait for it to be met. Indeed, they do not even assume that it can be met. Rather, they attack Yahweh and put him on trial by attacking Moses. The real issue here for Israel 
is a lack of trust. They even so go so far as to indicate that they would rather go back to Egypt than to be where they are under God's hand. And I'm going to really date myself here, but I'm not going to quote from it, but some of you may remember the old Keith Green song, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt. Is there anybody else in this room that can remember that song? Yeah, I see some hands going up. Um, if you've never heard it, Google Keith Green, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt, and watch the YouTube of it, and you'll, you'll, you'll see. But to make reference to our illustration from last Sunday, they would rather go to the stagnant waters, in a sense figuratively filled with crocodiles waiting to devour them, than to stay in the fast-moving, somewhat rough waters where God continues to lead and direct and provide for them. They want to flee from the very place where God's grace and miraculous provision abound to them. And they test the Lord in their lack of obedience and trust. To test the Lord, hear me here, to test the Lord is an incredibly serious and troubling action. Scripture has a lot to say about testing God from the framework of disobedience or due to a lack of trust in him. In Numbers 14, 20, 20, excuse me, 14, 22 through 23, we read, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have yet put me to the test these 10 times and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despised me shall see it. Even more explicitly in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, we read, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. It doesn't get any clearer than this, brothers and sisters. And it's not a, const it's not a coincidence that the verse that I just read from Deuteronomy 6.16 follows shortly after the Shema, the most important two verses for any faithful God-fearing Jew. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. What we see here in Exodus 17 is a stark contrast between what truly loving God looks like and how putting the Lord to the test, what that looks like. And, and we see that they are in direct opposition to one another. They are complete opposites. The only place in the Old Testament where believers are explicitly commanded to test the Lord is Malachi 3.10, which is a very, very different context and setting than what we see in Exodus 17. In Malachi 3.10, we read, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. The command to test the Lord in Malachi is the exact opposite of what we see in Exodus because the example of Malachi is testing in which God demonstrates his faithfulness in greater measure because of a heart of obedience, a heart toward God, a heartfelt desire to obey God's instruction, even through sacrificial obedience, rather than what we see in Exodus 17, which is unbelief and testing through a lack of trust and a lack of obedience. 
we need to be very careful, brothers and sisters, that we do not test God, that we do not go down roads and take actions in our lives that are an affront to God, that are an affront to his truth and his call on our lives, somehow testing him and then wagging our fingers like Old Testament Israel did. If God was really God or if God said he would do this and et cetera, et cetera, we are not to test God in that kind of a way. Israel was choosing to not trust God. May we always choose to trust God. You see, they had lost, completely lost, their sense of godly bearing. If you will, their frame of godly reference, what I would call their God compass. So my question for you and me today is this. How is our God compass? How is your God compass? Is it set to a true godly north where that 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 pin is aligned straight north in a sense, figuratively, north being the will of God? And you're following that compass. You're following the leading of God. You're obeying his commands. Your face is set toward God and doing his will. Or has that needle, that dial gotten misset and needs recalibrating? Lent. Lent is a wonderful time. Now is the perfect time to ask God to search our hearts and to do a a recalibration, a reset of our God compass so that it's set the true north and our face and our lives are truly set to do his will and walking in love and obedience to him. To trust or not to trust. And then the second thing we see in verses four through seven is God's infinite mercy. Despite their lack of trust and their rebellion, God still keeps his promise. And once again, and again, and again, and again, and again, shows them grace and mercy. In verse 4, Moses cries out to God, What shall I do with these people? And God yet again provides miraculously for their needs. Because at God's command, Moses strikes the rock at Horeb and water gushes forth. Enough water to satisfy the thirst of all of the people. Remember in this instance, Moses struck the rock at God's direction. And with the very same staff, this, this parallel should not be missed. With the very same staff that God led him to use when the waters of the Red Sea parted. And beyond that, we read that, that the Lord stood before Moses as he struck the rock. God manifesting his presence. God showing Moses and his people that he was the one that was doing this on their behalf. Performing yet again a miracle of provision. Demonstrating his grace and faithfulness. That he keeps his promises. That he is indeed a covenant keeping God. Despite their testing of him. And despite their disobedience. And sadly, Rephidim, as we read this text, is given two new names, Massa and Meribah, because of the Israelites' double sin of testing God and murmuring against God. In 1 Corinthians 10, St. Paul gives an even clearer picture of Israel's sin, speaking a little more broadly, but this setting in Exodus 17 is clearly included in what he says in verses 9 through 12 of 1 Corinthians 10. 
We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. God gives us their example. This is recorded in God's holy word so that we don't fall into the same trap and the same snare. And what we see here is that they were actually putting Christ himself to the tests when they tested God in Exodus 17. May we never put Christ to the tests. So what is God teaching us through this account in Scripture and the account of Abraham from Genesis last Sunday, Abraham's call that we heard last Sunday. I have some things that I'm going to suggest in a few moments, but before we do that, I felt very compelled as I prepared this sermon, before I start making suggestions, that we need to take a moment and wait on the Lord in prayerful silence and allow God to speak to us, to you, to me, and also to us as a church. What is he saying to us through Abraham's example of godly obedience and trust? What is he instructing us through Israel's example in Exodus 17 of lack of trust and testing the Lord? And how does he want to reset our God compass so that our hearts and lives are fully set facing toward him and his will? So let's take a moment, a longer moment than usual in silent prayer and allow the Lord to speak to you. Allow the Lord to speak to me and also to speak to us as a church. I ask you to bow your heads and pray. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Attune our ears to what you're speaking to us in this season. Even now and for the days to come. Father, we give you great thanks for the wonderful works you have done in our lives and in this church in the past. And we look to the example of the patriarch Abraham, how he trusted you to move out and not stay in that place where um, it would have been disobedience and contrary to your leading where you went in faith without knowing the end destination of where you would lead. And Lord, we're also mindful of what we see with Israel in Exodus 17 today. Lord, may nothing in our lives or the life of this church be, become an Egypt where we desire to go back and try to live in or replicate the past. Again, Lord, we praise you for your faithfulness. And, and your faithfulness in the past gives us a frame of reference to set our faces toward you now and in the days to come, trusting that you are good and gracious and faithful and you are at work. But Lord, even figuratively, as we talked about last week, keep us from those stagnant waters that look safe but are filled with hazards and dangers and that which robs us of your life. Lead us, Lord, forward in a way that will increase our faith and our trust in you. Lord, lead us forward, I pray, individually, and lead us forward as a church family in a way 
for Lord all that takes place and all that you do is of such a measure and a magnitude that no human being could ever take credit for but that we know it is by your gracious, awesome, mighty hand. Lord, keep us from from indifference. Keep us from complacency. Lead us, Lord, into those waters where you are working and where you are moving. And Lord, may we be sure, even as Abraham did last week as we read, may we pause to truly worship you with all that we are. May we figuratively erect altars of stone that represent what you have done in that place of worship. But Lord, may we not stay there, but may we move on, continuing to walk in your will in obedience to your call. Lord, continue to lead us. And Lord, give us grace and strength to trust and to follow. And Lord, may we be mindful of the words in our psalm that spoke of this event in the life of the Egyptians in Exodus as well. Oh, come, let us worship and fall down and kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tested me and put me to the proof, though they had seen my works. Lord, may we not forget your works in our lives, in the life of this church, but may we know that you call us to move forward in you and that we are the sheep of your hand. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.